Hello and welcome to Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion through aid and development. I'm Marion Clements, and this podcast is part of an initiative I'm working on with Melissa Pitotti, which is being hosted by the CHS Alliance. Our work looks at the intersections between mental health, people management and organisational culture in aid and development organisations. And to do that, we've been using the lens of care and compassion to explore our practice. In the first few episodes of the podcast, you're going to hear Melissa and I interview a number of different people about responding with care and compassion to the current COVID-19 pandemic. Today, you'll hear Melissa talking with Hitendra Solanki about using mindfulness as a strategy to support us during COVID-19. At the end of their conversation, he also shares a mindfulness practice that you can participate in. I am so pleased today to be here with Hitendra Solanki, who is a senior lecturer in development studies at London South Bank University. He's been quite active in the development and humanitarian sector for over 16 years. Most recently, he worked as a mindfulness and well-being advisor in Action Against Hunger UK. He also led the three-year mindfulness and well-being project that was part of the START Network's Transforming Surge Capacity Program. If you read our report that we published in January called Working Well, Aid Worker Wellbeing and How to Improve It, you'll see his work referenced quite often in that paper because he's been, done such prolific work on the topic. And uh, I think later in uh, our discussion, you'll hear about a new initiative that he's starting that's quite relevant to the times we're living in. So um, first, just welcome. Welcome, Hitendra. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for having me on. And uh, I'm happy to share. And uh, I hope it's helpful. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank very much. you so much. Um, but before we jump in and get started, I just want to check. Um, how are you? How are you doing? How are you coping with the current COVID-19 crisis? It's uh, we're recording on March let's see, what time is it? March 27th. So it's a very fast paced and fast evolving situation. But uh, where, where do things stand with you today? Uh, very interesting times. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a sort of philosophical time. You know, a lot of people I'm talking to are, are very, very sort of philosophical about the idea. It seems like the whole world is on pause or forced to pause and uh, people are bringing a lot of meaning into that. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, you are at home, you're, um, you're with your loved ones and, uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of, a lot of people are actually saying to me, just as I'm feeling myself, that this is a time where it's really, really sort of, um, making you consider your, um, priorities and your values, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, people literally are questioning, you know, aspects of life and, and, and what is important to them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm absolutely no different. Um, I've been locked down actually, um, even before the, the government shutdown. I, I locked down with my parents, both elderly parents. My mother's disabled, mm -hmm. and um, incredibly sort of you know sort of vulnerable, um, needing a lot of care. Um, so I was not taking any risks. Um, I sort of cut down the home helps. Uh, in fact, no, I, I stopped the home helps uh, actually about uh, eight days ago. Mm. And uh, we literally are sort of closed in now and uh, just making sure that uh, I, I keep them shielded. So it does feel as though, you know, we are in a, in a place where we're, we're bringing out a lot of our, our altruism and care for 
for not only ourselves, you know, to keep safe, but um, especially to make sure that our loved ones are, are being looked after. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're taking the usual precautions, uh, trying to teach uh, old dogs new tricks as it was very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Dad, clean your hands, mom. No, don't touch that. <laughs> um, you know, making sure also that the sort of, you know, it's almost like Maslow is, is making a, a fierce return and just making sure that, you know, we're looking after, I'm looking after their physical well-being mm-hmm. as well as their mental well-being to some extent, making sure they're eating well, making sure I'm exercising as much as I can, which is, um, if my partner heard me say that, she'll say, no, he isn't, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing as much as I can. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's a time of sort of very heightened um, alertness and, and, and aware, awareness, you know, um, a lot of people are feeling they're getting to a sense of obsessive compulsive, you know, not, not to, mm-hmm. to disrespect people who are going through that in a, in a much more serious way, but, mm-hmm. you know, people are being forced to very much clean everything, do everything, you know, check everything um, and become very, very obsessive about how they're taking care of people, how they're cleaning things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're coping well, but it's, it's also, as well as maybe a difficult and worrying time, it's also, you know, this sort of pause that we've got on the, in the world today. It's, it's, I, I feel it's about taking time to connect a little bit mm-hmm. and making sure that I'm connecting with a lot of people, being in touch with people that I've not been in touch with for a while mm-hmm. that, I, that have always been in the back of my mind. So I've made, you know, oh. opportunities, I've, I've taken opportunities to, to contact them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, coming back to this sort of philosophical thing, I'm also aware, um, you know, there's some very hilarious memes going around uh, on WhatsApp and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, the social media at the moment. But be careful what you wish for. You know, we, we're always thinking about a work-life balance. Mm. That we wish we'd have more time at home and then suddenly you're forced to be at home. Mm. And then you suddenly realize that as well as the sort of rose-tinted view of what it might be like being at home, you know, there's a lot of things that you've got to deal with when you're in a closed you know, bubble with, with your loved ones, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, and dealing with, you know, the, the, pragma- the pragmatic aspects and the practical aspects of actually being with people, you know, um, it can be, a, you know, for many, I, I guess, a bit of a pressure cooker. And some of these memes have been very funny about, uh, you know, what would you rather be, you know, you know locked in uh, with your loved ones or be, and the people are just jumping to the word be without even understanding what the alternative is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's a time for connecting, but it's a time also that a lot of our internal aspects, I think, are being realised when you're literally um, in a bubble with the people that you love. I, I think um, that close proximity, especially for a length of time, will bring up a lot of our um, potential awareness of where we might have limits of you know patience or impatience or frustrations, boredom even. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a time to really work on ourselves as well. I think. Um, at least we'll, we'll be forced to, I believe. Yeah. But we're doing well. Yeah, that's good. You're, you're hanging in there because I remember when we talked earlier, you, you were definitely sensitive to the vulnerability of uh, your parents that you're taking care of. Uh, I was on a, 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 a call mm-hmm. earlier today where an aid worker was talking about how her natural instinct mm-hmm. to respond was to be of service to others. Mm-hmm. So in, in her case, uh, she started organizing virtual events for her friends to make sure mm-hmm. they were connected 
And she observed that in the process of responding Mm -hmm. to the needs of others, that maybe she was setting herself up for potential challenges just in terms of her own self-care. Mm-hmm. So in, in other words, a lot of aid workers, they want to be of support to others. When I hear that you stopped your home help, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I wonder, uh, wow, that must be a lot of extra pressure on you. Uh, I don't know how much time you have for yourself uh, when you're going to be taking care of others as, as you would naturally want to do because you, you should mm-hmm. limit and have social distancing with those but have you thought about that in terms of our sector? Because you've seen, you've been in our sector for a long time. You know how mm-hmm. we we are a sector of doers, and we mm-hmm. derive a lot of um, pleasure from helping others. It's one of the reasons we get into the work. Um, at at the same time, how do we set enough boundaries to make sure that we're, especially if this uh, situation is going on for a long time. Um, how do we how do we sustain that with the with the the same time taking care of ourselves it's it's a really interesting point and it's it's one of these things that i think really hits home when we realize that you know the the work that we've been doing as humanitarian workers and and this idea of this you know caring aspect we we often leave ourselves last which is unfortunately one of the reasons of 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 burnout and, mm-hmm. and anxiety and stress within the sector you know part of the the project that we worked on um in terms of the the mindfulness and well-being project for the transforming surge capacity project was really recognizing that this sort of level of altruism and care and concern for others we often leave ourselves behind and what i what i've sort of found here it's it always hits hits home that when you are in a bubble forced to look after the people that you care who are the most vulnerable Mm -hmm. this aspect of taking care of yourself takes on a greater emphasis you know there's such an enormity that you know that if you become ill Mm. then everything else is going to fall apart for others who you know my mother's disabled she won't be able to go out and Mm -hmm. even if we go out to a hospital there's more danger in that potentially Mm -hmm. than than staying at home and so you know making sure that you're looking after your own well-being you know we're forced to do that at this moment in time Mm And even for, for, for people like myself who have been doing this and, and I'm sure with yourself and, and our colleagues who are looking after lots of people and, and the care work and the humanitarians that, that are out there, mm. you know, rem- reminding ourselves that whilst we're telling the world to look after themselves and promote well-being, we, we often forget our own, mm-hmm. um, you know, this sort of natural tendency of aid workers to do this. And care and caregivers, you know, all around. You know, I'm, my hats off to the NHS at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the real heroes in this. But making sure that you're looking after yourself become it becomes, I mean, paramount because everybody's relying on you in that household if they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so this level of self care now, you know, it's finally hitting home that I really do need to practice what I what I preach myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for anyone who is listening, you know, I would really just stress, um, you know, do take time just to be with your, your thoughts, with your, with your emotions, with your physical sort of aspects of your body. Just take time to, to, to manage yourself and your being as best as you can, mm-hmm. um, because that is the investment that will help others. You know, I, I don't want to talk about the whole cliched sort of mask, you know, falling from the you know, the, the, the oxygen mask in the airline, you know, yeah. putting the, the, the oxygen mask to your face first. 
Um, but there's truth in that cliche, sadly. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, know, you, you don't want to keep saying the, the, the usual cliche thing, but, but look after yourselves as best as you can. And that well-being aspect, you know, being kind to yourself first and foremost will allow you to sustain that care for others. Um, and I think it's just hitting home more than it ever has for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I first got to know you, Hitendra, uh, in your well-being capacity when you were at ACF UK. And uh, you can talk to people in a very accessible way about uh, a word that is used a lot in the, the mainstream, but people still don't necessarily fully get it, this word of mindfulness. Mindfulness, yes. Mindfulness. And I, I wanted to talk about mindfulness specifically in this episode because a lot of people think they're losing their minds at the moment. Mm. <laughs> they, they feel like they're out of control in terms of the situation around them. For those that are living with close at home with family members that maybe they wanted to before and now they're having second thoughts. Uh, uh, how can they be mindful? It, it helps to first understand what is the concept? What is mindfulness? Can you, I mean, we don't need a, uh, a long explanation, but just in a nutshell, in a layman's person's terms, what would you describe it as? Yeah, I mean, literally sort of in a nutshell, and to, to give it a, a sort of simplicity, I, I, I think there is a lot of um, misinformation, misperception, uh, preconceptions about mindfulness and, and meditation in general. Um, but mindfulness um, is very much about just connecting with your life very vividly and experiencing it and every aspect of it. Um, it's essentially knowing that you're alive and being aware that you're being aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we, if we had to sort of define it a little bit more in a, in a secular way, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, John Kabat-Zinn, the sort of father of modern day mindfulness um, about 40 years ago, he, he defined it in a very simple way, taking it away from the sort of, um, traditional meditation um, traditions that are out there. And he described it as, as this. He said, it's paying attention in the present moment on purpose, purposefully, and non-judgmentally. And the very aspect of that is just simply training the attention. So it's training the attention to come back to the present moment over and over again. And there's some wonderful ways of just doing that, you know, using the breath, for example, using the body sensations. And as you train the attention to come back, what you actually do is cultivate a sense of awareness. So it's very much training to be aware of being alive, aware of being aware and being in this, in this present moment. Um, and as you actually do the training of being present, you know, in the, in the present moment, in a non-judgmental way. So not actually reacting to the judgments as they're arising, mm-hmm. not getting caught up in them, but just seeing them calmly with, with some sort of clarity. What you'll recognize is this whole um, flow of habitual thinking that's going on, that's been going on for, for many years in your lives, perhaps even since you know your, your youth. And what it does, it allows you to recognize these sort of automatic tendencies of thinking, of behaving, uh, tendencies of how emotionally you might be dealing with things. Mm-hmm. And also emotionally uh, being aware of, of, of how these um, particular feelings and moods may be driving your behaviors and action as well. Mm-hmm. 
And as you cultivate this self-awareness, just by being present and training the attention, you know, bit by bit through practice, you get a sense of recognizing these automatic tendencies within yourselves. Mm -hmm. And through that, not getting caught up in those tendencies, not reacting to them, which is what we've done habitually and through conditioned patterns of behavior. It means that you are then able to move away from that reactivity, those habitual tendencies, and be able to see things clearly so that you can respond as opposed to react. So that sense of cultivated awareness allows you to see things from a from a different perspective, it can show you habitual patterns arising mm -hmm. and stop you from going down those pathways and perhaps finding ways that more skillfully um, can deal with the situation at hand in, in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, over time, you know, as you practice, you'll recognize more and more of, of these particular habits and tendencies in much more subtle ways. And ultimately, as you become more aware of them, um, be able to understand these thoughts without getting caught up in them, without reacting to them habitually, you become much more still within. So there's a, a sense of resilience there because you don't get caught up in the sort of winds of change within your mind and your emotions. Mm -hmm. And that stability can help you know, guide you through life in a much more creative way. Um, and of course, you know, you may not still have all the answers but you will still be able to make a decision that is grounded in your own truth and in a much more balanced and self-aware manner as well mm -hmm. so very you know very succinctly it's very much about being present being alive to the present moment and mindfulness means that you are not only aware of the present moment but you are aware of being aware um you know a sense of meta-awareness metacognition um uh, not just metacognition, but meta-aware of not only your thoughts, but also your emotions, uh, your, your physical body, and the way you are engaging not only with yourself and your thoughts and your emotions, but also how you then interact with the world around you. So being fully present, being authentic, and just simply being in the moment. And that's, in a nutshell, uh, mindfulness, the definition, is, as well as um, how it can help you develop this sense of awareness to lead your life uh, much more skillfully. When I picture my, myself being in that place you describe where you're mm. in, a, in, a, in a place of stillness, where you're aware of your awareness, it seems like a very anchored place. It seems like a very calm place to be when you're in the middle of the eye of a storm or when you're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yes. uh, for, for, for those listening for myself too, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, who are dealing with a lot of stimulation that maybe they hadn't had before or a lack of stimulation mm -hmm. um, because they, they, they might be um, staying at home alone. Yeah. Um, how, uh, do you have any practical tips on how people can become mindful in the midst of this situation we're in? Absolutely. I, I think, um, I mean, I think the first thing to really say is that you know, mindfulness is a, is a natural human condition. You know, we all have the ability to be mindful and all we are doing is cultivating it and emphasizing the, the training to be in that, uh, in that mindful state of mind and, and cultivating it does take it practice. You know, there's no sort of easy way of saying that you'll take a pill and it'll, you'll be mindful all of a sudden, but 
but if you can cultivate it and take baby steps to begin with, not, um, not be too ambitious to begin with, um, and just perhaps find and explore, um, you know, there's a, a wonderful plethora of, of apps and online materials now, um, including the materials that we created for the project, which are open source as well. Um, and if you can explore these trainings, uh, these, uh, these tools that are out there, find something that resonates with you, find what you are comfortable with in terms of, of how it's being um, delivered you know, for you. So for example, if it's an app and you're okay with the, the voice and you're comfortable in, in that particular mo mode of training, that's fine. If you find uh, on YouTube um, some good practitioners who may be offering mindfulness um, guided audios, that could be a good way in. Um, at the end of this, I can also offer some of the links to the materials that we put on um, as part of the Transforming Surge Capacity Program and the, mm -hmm. the mindfulness and uh, well-being component, which I was leading on. Mm -hmm. Those are open source. They're freely available. So, you know, feel free to try those out as well. Mm -hmm. If you can take those steps to begin with, um, and, you know, we, we talk about formal and informal practice, but if in, initially you can do the formal practice of sitting down quietly for, say, five, ten minutes with those guided audios, mm -hmm. um, that will be very much like going to the gym at the beginning. You know, you're actually building up in, a, in an environment conducive to building up your, your, your physical stamina, you know, if it was a physical exercise. But if you can do that through the guided audios, you will build up um, this through a mental exercise and, uh, and an awareness exercise. And as you cultivate these practices, if you can discipline yourself and make time initially to, to do sort of five minutes in the morning, five mm -hmm. minutes in the, at lunchtime, five minutes mm -hmm. in the evening, and then build it up to 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and so on and so forth, as you do those formal practices throughout the day and make time for them, ultimately mindfulness, because it's all about being alive to your life, later, as you become aware of how mindfulness works and, and how you can practice without the guided audios, it means that you can start building in the time during the day in much more informal ways. So, you know, a lot of people with, um, with certain sort of preconceptions when they come into mindfulness meditation, they often think it's about sitting down in a, in a cross-legged pose, you know, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the sort of typical image of somebody with their hands in a particular gesture mm -hmm. with the back bolt upright. But mindfulness isn't necessarily about that. It's about simply bringing that awareness to whatever you're doing in your life. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you can practice sitting with a dignified posture, making sure that you're doing all the f formal training to begin with, Later, as you cultivate that awareness, you can simply bring awareness to the most mundane of things. Um, mm -hmm. So you can bring awareness, you know, to your to your start of the day, waking up, breathing, just looking at the room and the colors around you, being fully aware of them, brushing your teeth, fully aware of the taste of the toothpaste, mm -hmm. being aware of the the texture of the bristles against your gums, for example. Mm -hmm. um, drinking your coffee or your tea in the morning mindfully just fully being present to the taste of it the heat the warmth of it these are little steps that people can build in but they begin with the formal practice so you can really get a sense of how mindfulness works and then after you make time to do that you can simply build in time 
with any activity you're doing, which would be the informal practice to really be present. So in, in, a, in a sense, you can um, ultimately um, use anything in your life as meditation practice, which is the point ultimately. Um, but I would very much ask everyone to, you know, if they're very new to this, mm -hmm. is to have a look around. There are some, you know, apps out there. There's a link to an app that we created for the project as well that uh, is available on Android as well. So, you know, we can actually do that as well. Um, it's a prototype app, but it still is, is functional um, with the basic uh, meditation practice uh, on board and it has a number of guided audios. Um, there is uh, a number of amazing books out there as well. You know, mm -hmm. John Kabat-Zinn, the father of modern day mindfulness has written some wonderful guides and books out there. Um, Professor Mark Williams from Oxford University has uh, a couple of wonderful books out there as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, often the, they also have links to the websites to um, provide guided audios or they have a CD as well. So th those are great ways of starting mm -hmm. um, the actual practice. Um, what I would very much also suggest, and uh, maybe just to, to, to promote what we're doing at the moment, mm -hmm. as part of the legacy work and, and because of the, um, the, the, the unfolding situation at the moment of uncertainty and this need to very much you know, manage the stress of, of being indoors, for example, uh, to manage the, the anxieties that we might have and the worries that we might have, um, uh, we've developed a, a new online um, initiative um, called uh, Being Inside. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that uh, on a regular basis, uh, once a day to begin with, and then leading up to maybe twice a day, is to have live online sessions um, with myself and uh, uh, potentially a couple of my other colleagues will be coming in so that we can build a bit of uh, a community and, uh, and also help link and connect people who may be isolated or uh, need to interact and ask questions about the actual practice as well. So that will also be on offer and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of, sort of welcome to, to come on board with that. There's no charge, of course, we're, we're offering this uh, out there um, because it, I think it's a, a time of need at the moment, of course. And so, um, you know, if, if people find it useful, please come on board. Excellent. So yeah. it's called being inside, which I think a lot of people are mm -hmm. grappling with at the moment. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it will be on a, a, a live stream of, platform of some sort or YouTube or it will be on a live stream. So I set up a little platform and okay. uh, I'll send a link um, to you. So hopefully when we, um, you know, we can communicate that to everybody listening as well. And uh, let's see where it goes from there. It, it's probably going to start off as a small small thing for people that we know and some cohorts uh, that we are uh, working with already. Some, for example, I'm dealing with a, a cohort uh, who are doing the mindfulness-based stress reduction course at my university at London South Bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, halfway through, uh, we've had to, to stop the oh. the face-to-face -face sessions because of the, yeah. the, the social distancing and uh, the lockdown. So we've moved it on online and uh, for a lot of my students at university as well, and a lot of my colleagues in the aid sector, um, we're offering this to a variety of different cohorts and agencies. But we're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm very much thinking that it would actually be useful to to just broadcast it to anybody who's interested. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, I can pass you the link and then yes. we'll see how the technology works. We'll, we'll include it in the show notes. That'd be wonderful. I had to tell you a story, a little story. Uh, when uh, I had uh, an experience in 2018 with burnout, hmm. uh, one of the first things I decided to do was start a regular 
uh, routine where I would use one of these apps to have a guided meditation uh, once a morning. And uh, the first morning I woke up early and I went into my living room and I got into a comfortable position and I had uh, uh, some water next to me in case I needed it. And I started the... And my husband and son woke up and they decided to come and sit next to me. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was like, I am trying to meditate. Uh, So for me, it was a bit funny because uh, this being inside situation, now I can imagine Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, are in that similar situation where they try to find a quiet place and you know, be present and there are other mm-hmm. people around them. Uh, for me now, sometimes my husband walks by and he's, oh, are you meditating? I was like, yes. So he moves on, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, 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 another technique that I had is just to stay in bed in the morning a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some people think I'm just sleeping in, but I'm just trying to, to at least take 10 minutes or 15 minutes for that. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that you say you can do it when you're brushing your teeth or you're drinking your coffee. Um, so can you do this when other people are in your s- small space together with you? Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know when I'm when I'm starting the um, the MBSR course, we we and what I'm doing, especially when I'm doing this sort of introduction to mindfulness sessions, um, a lot of people, you know, to, I, I I bring I ask a question. I say, what do you think meditation is? What do you think mindfulness is? Mm-hmm. And it brings up a lot of preconceptions and misconceptions again. And, and you know, so a lot of people say that, oh, yeah, so, you know, I've tried uh, pushing all my thoughts away and not think <laughs> about anything. And some people will say, well, you know, I've tried to meditate to try and get, you know, calm and, and relaxed, but I can never do it. And um, and a lot of people will say, you know, well, every time I sit down and meditate, I just can't concentrate. And those actually, strangely enough, in, enough are they're so ingrained in, in sort of a collective consciousness of what mindfulness or, or meditation is, uh-huh. but they are actually the antithesis of what meditation is. <laughs> and, and, and when you actually say to them, well, good luck if you want a, a blank <laughs> mind with no thoughts, because it's simply not going to happen. You know, experienced meditators and, you know, I've been sort of privileged with the sort of journey I've taken over my life to be with meditators from, from all traditions and all faiths, um, you know, metaphysicians, as it were, uh, and practitioners who will tell you that even when they've been on retreats for up to even 10 years, Mm. you know, they will still have traffic going on in their mind, you know, um, Mm -hmm. as they sit alone, isolated in a cave, maybe, or in a hut somewhere in the woods. Um, So the idea is that you're not trying to push the thoughts away, because as soon Mm. as you try and push the thoughts away, you will set up an antagonism within the mind. And, and when you, you know, when you actually reveal to people that actually, no, that's exactly what you're looking for. You're actually looking to see how busy the mind is. And when you notice it, don't try and push the thoughts away, just recognize it and then come back to a point of attention, Mm -hmm. whether it's the breath, for example, or a physical sensation in the body. So, you know, working with the mind, not, not trying to make it something that it isn't. Um, And the other aspect as well is that, um, you know, a lot of people think it's all about calmness and relaxation. And uh, I, I have this sort of hilarious sort of um, discussion with, with uh, new recruits every time um, to say that uh, often people, um, 
when they think they're meditating, they will they will try and batten down the doors, close all the doors, tell everyone to shut up. They'll they'll even mm-hmm. tell the dog to stop barking outside, even though the dog's not going to understand you. And they'll think that you know if they put on some plinky plonky music and some insects, <laughs> <laughs> and they envision envision themselves near that wonderful pasture near near the waterfall, um, and they induce this sort of calm visual visualized state within them that that's meditation mm-hmm. and i remind them that actually that is absolutely again the antithesis because what meditation actually is is not necessarily about being relaxed and calm or having no thoughts it's about seeing reality as it is you know fully present to the reality around you fully mm-hmm. alive to it and that can mean that it's a bit difficult sometimes it can mean that it can be a challenge at times it means that you'll see things that you are not hoping to see or we're not willing to immediately see. Mm-hmm. But that's where the strength is. It's turning to face, you know, the challenges is turning to face the, the, the truth and reality of what's going on. And as mm-hmm. we cultivate a way of coming back to a point of experiential awareness through focusing on the breath, for example, or the body sensations, um, the mind will start, by itself calming down the, the, the train of thoughts within the mind and so every time the mind does distract you mm-hmm. acknowledge it accept that it's there let it go come back with a sense of kindness gentleness to the point of focus and the more we do that more frequently we do that the more that the mind will calm down of its own accord and the frequency of the mind wandering will actually die down but what's going on is we're actually being more skillful so if somebody is in the room, like you say, mm-hmm. or if somebody is making that noise, then we bring that in. That That's part of the world around you. We, mm-hmm. we, you know, it's a skillful way of dealing with the world and yet training the attention within ourselves. It's, it, <laughs> it always makes me laugh at this because um, I've, I've sort of had this happen in my own way. But do you remember um, a couple of years ago, there was the interview with um, at, at the BBC with uh, yes. a, a chap who was live, uh, sort of being being uh, interviewed and skyping in from his home and uh, his children burst through the door yes followed by his wife and um i've i've actually been sort of talking to my students or actually doing a practice and uh, the door behind me has burst open and my mom will say hey ten uh can you make me some tea <laughs> <laughs> and and unlike the guy who was pushing his kids away and, and bless him you know you know not yeah. you know he was, he was he was not aware if that was the metaphor for mindfulness, we would just welcome it in. We would say, yes, mom, but give me a second. I'm working on this. So it's a way of bringing back, recognizing something, bringing it back with that uh-huh. sense of kindness. Um, oh, okay. So in my son's <laughs> case, he's five now. Yeah. When he's tapping on my leg and he won't stop tapping, mm-hmm. I should tell him that I'll be with him in five, 10 minutes. It can be that, um, but it also can be that you're just aware of the tapping. And, okay. and despite the tapping, you can recognize that it's there, accept that it's there, let it go to the best, you know, that you can, and then simply come back to the attention that you have. Okay. Now, of course, you know, there's, there's a pragmatism here as well, and the skillfulness in, in doing it. But the, the aspect is, is that we, we allow the world to be as it is. Okay. And as best as we can, train the attention despite the world around us. And despite how our thoughts can take us away. Um, you know, whether it's pleasant thoughts or unpleasant thoughts or neutral thoughts coming back. The interesting thing is, you know, we can talk about this conceptually, but it's the experiential practice that is the, is the key. 
um, you know, mindfulness is essentially an experiential bodied uh, experience and it's not a con conceptual experience. It's not about the, the intellectualizing of, of this understanding, but it's actually training the awareness to physically be there fully with uh, understanding what's going on in your thoughts, with what's going on emotionally within you, what's happening physically, and just simply allowing the awareness to cultivate as you train the attention. Uh, and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful process. And the epiphanies that that happen, um, you know, in what I journey on uh, um, on, on trainings that I deliver, especially on the MBSR courses, which means that I'm with um, with participants for the best part of two months, sometimes maybe longer. Um, the realizations and the insights that people get by just simply doing the practice is phenomenal. You know, it's the practice that um, creates the awareness. You know, it's not the teacher, it's not the you know, not, not anything other than your own practice that will um, give you the results, you know, and, and that takes experience. Well, I consider that to be major next level for my skill level at the moment. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I will definitely work towards that where I can actually stay mm -hmm. in a mindful state mm -hmm. while others around me are trying to distract me. So I will definitely keep that as a, as a place. Mm-hmm that will be on my journey to go to because for me, it's very challenging. <laughs> well, well, the interesting thing is it's, 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 you know, it's, is also to recognize that we're not striving to get to a particular place within ourselves. You know, we're not striving to be calm or to be relaxed or to, to have no thoughts. Um, however, the mind is whatever you notice, you know, it's just like the weather. Some days it's rainy and thundery outside and some days it will be beautifully blue skies and no clouds. Um, even if you're sitting down one day and the mind is busy and, you know, thoughts are just flying around, just simply noticing them coming back, mm -hmm. noticing them coming back to the attention, whether it's the breath again or body sensations, mm -hmm. you know, just doing the practice is the important thing, mm -hmm. um, not expecting anything. And ironically, if you just come back to the moment, come back to the moment, regardless of what's going on day in, day out, ultimately you will get to the point where the benefits will accrue. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the science behind mindfulness has shown that, um, you know, significantly you can uh, affect your psychological well-being for, for the better um, through the practice. Uh, you will get a, a reduction in anxiety. You will get a you know, reduction. But it's not through striving to get there, but just mm -hmm. by doing the practice, eventually you'll find that it happens of its own accord. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, a, a whole heap of science out there as well and, and uh, documented, you know, uh, randomized trials and, um, and scientific papers that will show you immense benefits psychologically as well as physically and emotionally uh, by, by this particular practice. And if we are talking about sort of building resilience, especially in this difficult time, mm -hmm. then this is, you know, th this is a practice that, you know, I talked about, you know, the world is seemingly very philosophical at the moment but mm -hmm. if we see the world as a macrocosm which it is and then we work on mindfulness in the microcosm of our own awareness we'll find that you know you will be able to to see what's going on and to perhaps you know find more skillful ways of dealing with the uncertainty that's going on outside and um and just by doing those little baby steps at the beginning doing short practices to begin um, and then doing those informal practices, you know, you know, building in 
awareness of mundane activities, you'll still be cultivating meditation, you know, so you, you can mm. still meditate when you're brushing the teeth, as I said, or walking, mm. petting the dog, you know, cooking, for example, drinking a cup of tea, all those will add to that resilience that you're building to help us deal with the present situation internally. And, you know, if you can build that, there's more skillful ways of dealing with the outside world as well. Um, so it has, you know, real practical applications, not just, you know, something that you're doing internally in your minds, but it may help you uh, more skillfully to steer the course of your life in this difficult time as well. Wow, that's a relief. I'm glad you said that. So I won't pressure myself. I will just practice. Absolutely not. There's just one, one, one thing that I think is probably very, very important at this time. Um, it's inherent within mindfulness. You know, people often ask, you know, mindfulness trainers about uh, the definition of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the key aspects that I talk about in the MBSR course and, and you know, all mindfulness teachers will, will talk about this is that the reason for that kindness, you know, it, you know, we talked about, you know, we've really got to look after ourselves, if, especially if we're looking after people that are vulnerable at this point, mm -hmm. point in time. And this self-care becomes incredibly important. This kindness to ourselves becomes very important at this time. And when I talk about sort of mindfulness and when we're actually doing the mindfulness training, you know, people realize that when they sit down, the mind will take them all in all sorts of places. And especially when you're suddenly forced to not do anything, mm -hmm. the mind can bring up all the things that we've put away and not that we're not dealing with. Mm. Um, so some of the worries that we may have, the grief that we may have, the traumas mm -hmm. that we were pushing away by being so busy mm -hmm. can often just, you know, manifest themselves a bit like a jack in the box. Mm -hmm. And it takes courage to to be present with them. You know, when you're facing difficulties in your life, it takes courage. Um, but in mindfulness, we talk about kindness and courage in the same way. It's the same, you know, coin, different sides. So, you know, courage means, you know, I, I do an exercise where I click my fingers and say, what happens when I you know, click my finger and I say the word courage? And people often say, oh, I think of a lion and I think of a soldier and a knight in shining armor on a white horse and, mm -hmm. and a soldier and this sort of thing. And then I do it again and say, you know, what is kindness? And they say, well, it's about softness and fluffiness. And I think of my mom and I think of all the, the good things. And I say, and I then say, well, how would you feel if I said those two are the same things? And they say, well, how is it the same thing? And I sort of explain, and, you know, again, all mindfulness teachers, you know, with this understanding will probably explain that in order to go to some of the most difficult things that arise, you know, internally within us and, and maybe with the fears that we have with the virus outside and the worries that we have for our loved ones, it takes courage to actually approach things that are difficult in our lives. But to really see things as they are, you have to welcome them in. And to welcome those difficulties in takes kindness to welcome them in, to really see them. Mm -hmm. And to embrace them in that kindness is actually the courage to actually see them as they are. So in effect, it's exactly the same thing. You're welcoming them in, in the difficulties. And the most wonderful thing happens when you do that, because as you see things as they are, the, the, the clear seeing of that difficulty or that challenge and our ability to actually be there, to experience that, to accept that it's there, 
our relationship to it changes. And when that relationship to our fears and our worries change, that's where the strength and the resilience comes through. But effectively, it takes the kindness to welcome that in, which is courage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think this is a practice that is perfect for the situation we're in because we're seeing the boundaries of, you know, the, the doors and windows of our houses as we're in un under lockdown. But as we practice mindfulness, we'll see the in internal boundaries of where our fears are, where our, you know, uh, in impatience may be, our, our frustrations may be. Um, and it allows us to approach those with a sense of kindness and courage and, and to see that we have resources beyond what we thought we had as we move past them. So I think it's very much a, a practice for the time. Excellent. Well, do you mind, Hitendra, before we sign off, do you mind to lead us through a short exercise just to give a taste to people who might not uh, be familiar or um, whet the appetite of those who have tried different approaches and might be interested to try a new one. Um, mm -hmm. Do you mind just to leave us with the, a, a minute or two of what you're talking about? I'd be very happy to, to help, yes. So we can do a short practice, of course, yes. Okay. So, excellent. Okay, so before we begin, um, I've got my bells here. Mm -hmm. Um, there'll be one bell to begin and three bells to end. We'll do a short practice. But before we begin and before the first bell, perhaps if you're sitting on a chair, to place both feet firmly on the ground, mm -hmm. so uncrossed, and getting as much contact with the soles of the feet on the ground. So getting a sense, a vivid sense of real contact with the ground itself, with your feet. If you, again, are sitting on the chair and uh, your back is against the, the chair, see if you can shift a few inches forward so that the back is freestanding and self-supporting. And without too much tightness or stiffness, see if you can just keep the spine upright and balanced. So often I talk about uh, the stacked pebbles that you often see, you know, these cliche images. Of, of pebbles that are stacked upon each other in yoga magazines and, uh, and in gymnasiums. If you can Im imagine that your spine is embodying that stack of pebbles, so your bum on the seat is the bottommost pebble, and keeping the spine upright, respecting the natural curves of the spine, releasing any tension. And as you move upwards, just like you're stacking those pebbles one on top of it, the other, keeping the vertebra stacked upon vertically upright with the spine. And then as you move right to the neck, aligning the neck with the rest of the spine so it's upright and balancing the head so that you're not leaning too far forward or too far back or side to side. So keeping the spine upright, we often call it dignified, because you're giving yourself time and permission to be in the moment and to respect that you are wanting to become self-aware. So the posture is very important for that intention to keep you still and balanced. And then with the hands and the arms, seeing how you can support the spine further. So experiment now with putting them on the hands or putting the hands rather on the, the laps or the knees or over the knees, wherever is comfortable for you.
And as you find a sense of balance supporting the spine, feel free to take a few deep conscious breaths, really filling the lungs. Closing the eyes if you wish, or having a soft unfocused gaze in front of you. As you breathe out, use the exhalation to release any tightness or tension that you might find in the body. So the shoulders, for example, softening, dropping them a little bit as you breathe out, releasing any tension around the thighs, the buttocks, the chest, the abdomen, perhaps in the wrists. So take a couple of more deep breaths, breathe away any of the tension through the exhalation. And then with a final couple of deep breaths, do the same, but focus on your face. So from the forehead, softening any tension you may find there between the eyebrows, for example, in the eyelids, the little muscles behind the eyes themselves, seeing if there's a little bit of looseness there. Dropping the jaw, loosening the jaw muscles as you breathe out letting go of any subtle tension around the, the lips and the cheeks. And then simply letting the breath now fall into its own natural rhythm. So no need to control the breath in any way, no need to manage the breath in any way. So just let the body breathe as it wishes to breathe at this moment. And whether the breath is fast, slow, deep or shallow, erratic or smooth, it doesn't matter. Just trust and allow the body to breathe as it wants to at this very moment in time. And as best as you can now, stay with the breath as it breathes in and breathes out. And I'll begin just a very short practice now with the sound of one bell. And as you hear the sound of the bell, also feel free to really focus on the bell as it fades away, staying with it moment by moment, guiding you into the practice itself. So as the sound of the bell fades away, simply come back to the breath and see if you can focus on the breath at the nostrils. So simply being aware of the flow of air as you breathe in, perhaps feeling the coolness of the air as you breathe in, the flow of air moving through the nostrils. And as you breathe out, perhaps feeling the warmth of the air warmed by the body the moisture in the air through the body and just simply be aware of the sensations of breath as you feel them at the nostrils.
out of the body of its own accord. So, for example, if thoughts come into your head, worries, concerns, questions, judgments, that's fine. It's just the nature of the mind. See if you can gently let those thoughts go. And as best as you can, come back to the breath at the nostrils, staying with the raw perception of the sensations at the nostrils, moment by moment. at this moment and then gently coming back resting that awareness on the breath at the nostrils once more so see if you can self-guide yourself for another minute bring a sense of kindliness and gentleness to the process so don't worry if the mind wanders it's simply the nature of the mind all we need to do is gently escort the awareness back to the breath every time the mind wanders so whether it's a dozen times or a hundred times, that's fine. Just simply come back to the breath as best as you can, moment by moment. cycle of breath from a full in-breath to a full out-breath seeing if you can stay with that breath moment by moment coming back to the breath if the mind wanders
breath at the nostrils, whether it's the coolness of air or the flow of air as you breathe in and out, and just simply being fully alive, fully present, vividly aware of the perception of that sensation at the nostrils, just for the final few breaths before the sound of the closing bells. As the sound of the bell fades away, feel free holding that awareness as best as you can, opening the eyes and just bringing that awareness now into the rest of the day as best as you can. Thank you so much, Shitendra. That was really, really helpful. You're absolutely welcome. I hope that was useful. Yes. It's hard to come back. <laughs> 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 but I I want to come back and I want to thank you for that. But I also want to thank you for our conversation today. I know you have a lot going on with your work, with your family, mm -hmm. with the situation. So we really appreciate your time. Um, and we're really happy that you're uh, starting a new initiative called Being Inside. So we'll mm -hmm. definitely connect um, the listeners to that through the show notes and uh, as well to some of the other resources you mentioned um, from your projects uh, before. So I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Hitendra Salonki is the Senior Lecturer in Development Studies at London South Bank University. He's been very active in the aid sector in many different capacities and we're so grateful to have had his time today thank you very much for your time as well and uh wishing everyone well and uh to stay safe healthy and uh and hopefully mindful throughout the the unfolding months ahead so thank you very much again You've been listening to Melissa Pitotti in conversation with Hitendra Solanki, and this is Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion in aid and development. The show was edited by Ziada Abade. If you enjoyed the show, please do share it. And if you're an iTunes user and are listening there, please do leave us a review as it helps others to find our show. We'll be back next week with another show exploring responding with care and compassion to COVID-19.